18. We will always remember the Lord Jesus' death and his resurrection for us. But in Revelation 15, we get two songs of victory. Two songs, just like the ladies sang, just fantastic victory of 10,000 years and we'll be reigning with Christ and we'll have just begun because the battle's over, the victory is ours. The victory belongs to Jesus and all those who are in Christ. So Revelation chapter 15. By this time, almost seven years of tribulation have come upon the earth. Over 50%, we don't know how much exactly, but for sure four-sevenths of the population of this earth has already been, been slain. A third of the aquatic life, both in the sea and in the rivers, a third of the grass is burned up, a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars is gone. A horde of demons have come out of the earth. Demons. They look like locusts, and they go around and they torment unbelievers for five months, and unbelievers will want to kill themselves and be unable to kill themselves. And after five months, that trial goes away. But then 200 million horsemen with demons on them come upon and they have the power of the sword and they kill and kill and kill. Death is everywhere. There's been earthquakes. There's been lightnings and thunderings and disease and starvation. The Antichrist has risen up. The beast is his name. He has a a second man named the false prophet, both energized by the devil, the dragon himself. And they will have political control economic control and religious control over this whole planet. And Jesus Christ, at the end of the seven years, is going to come back and take it from the dragon. And so we're at the end of the seven years. And the Lord Jesus has seen the hardness of man for over 6,000-some years by this point. He knows the rejection that man has given towards him and his Messiah, But he offered, remember last week, he offered at the last moment another message of the gospel, another proclamation by an angel. As an angel passes through the mid-heavens, he's shouting with a loud voice the everlasting gospel. Uh, When I was out during this last week, I thought about that a number of times. I thought, what's it going to be like for people on planet Earth at the end of the, towards the end of the seven years, with hardness of heart, they have heard the gospel from Maybe from you and I, if it happens in our lifetime, if the rapture happens in our lifetime, they would have heard the gospel from us, I hope. They would have heard it from the 144,000 Jewish people that were sealed in Revelation 7. They would have heard the gospel from a multitude of Gentiles who believed of every tribe and tongue and of of, of, of every race. They would have heard the gospel from two powerful witnesses in Jerusalem who authenticated it with incredible miracles until they were slain and then raised up from the dead after three and a half days. They had time over and over and over to hear and receive the gospel, and they haven't. So now comes time for the final judgment of this earth. John up in heaven, he sees a great sign. He's going to see the temple doors open because there's a temple in heaven. I believe that's where we're going to live. It's where God lives. The, te- the temple doors are going to open, much like Isaiah saw in chapter 6 and much like Ezekiel saw in chapter 1. Can you picture? Are you with me? You're looking up in heaven. We're in heaven, and there's the temple, and the doors are shut, and the Lord is seated on the throne. And all of a sudden, the, do- the doors begin to open. And smoke, and lightnings, and thunderings, And the brightest light we have ever seen comes out of the crack of the doors, and the doors swing open, 
And out come seven angels. And the seven angels have the control of the seven last bowls of judgment, bowls of wrath. And one of the living creatures that is around the throne, and hopefully next Sunday I can give you a better visual picture of how this, I think, is going to match up with Ezekiel 1 because there's a glassy sea mingled with fire and a firmament, and then the four living creatures and the throne above it. I've got it pictured in my head. I don't know if it's exactly what it's like, but I can see it. And one of the living creatures gives the angels each a bowl of wrath. And within moments, they are going to come to planet Earth and pour the judgment of God upon this Earth. And we'll see next Sunday morning, we will see seven fast, intense judgments. And by the end of the seventh one, the heavens will have split open and Jesus Christ will be back on this planet. But it's going to be tough those last days. Here's what Revelation 15 says as we just get eight verses tonight. Then I saw verse 1, John said, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. The sinfulness of man has reached its climax, and God is angry, and God is going to judge. The day of grace is over, and the wrath of God, having been poured out upon the planet, is over. Verse 2, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark. These are tribulation believers that died on earth for their, their love for Jesus and the word of their testimony, and now they're alive in heaven. And they have endured the beast, which is political persecution. They have endured his image, verse 2 says, which is spiritual persecution, political from the beast, because he's going to control the world as the uh, evil dictator, The image, because everybody will be made to worship the image, that's spiritual abuse, spiritual persecution, and they will have survived the mark, meaning economic persecution, and they endured and they gave their life for it. And over the number of his name, and they're standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. And before we get to the seven last plagues of God poured on this earth, we get a song of triumph and victory. Because we have waited for this day when Jesus will come back and reclaim this planet for his own. Don't we think about it and pray about it and we anticipate it? I cannot wait until there is no more sin, until there is no more influence of the devil, until he is cast into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. I am waiting for that day when all of this will merge to the eternal state and we will live together in unity, in love, and in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But until then... It's a struggle. But I'm looking for that day. And here's the song that they're singing. Verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So the song of Moses is a song of deliverance. After Pharaoh, who is a type of the beast, Pharaoh is like the Antichrist, and the Jewish people, the Israelites, were held captive for 430 years. After they came through the the Red Sea after it had parted and they were safe on the other shore and they looked back and Pharaoh and his ar- uh, Pharaoh's army has all been swallowed by the water. There was a great song in Exodus 15 as Moses leads the people in praise for a triumphant victory over the enemy. 
And that song is going to be repeated. And the plagues are going to be similar to the plagues in Egypt. I think everything that happened back in 1400 BC with Moses is going to be replayed on a grand scale, except it's not Moses, it's Jesus. And it's not Pharaoh, it's the Antichrist. And maybe it's not the water, but it's the earth opening up and swallowing the water. I think there's a lot of similarities, and you could study those out, but here's the song they're going to sing. Here is, in verse 3, what they're going to sing. Great and marvelous are your works. They are going to say, great are you, Lord. Great and marvelous are your works. Not only the cross, but in liberating this planet from evil. Great and marvelous are your works. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is all-powerful, and he is all-loving. And every combination of his character is perfect for his work, and his work is great and marvelous. Lord God Almighty. The second part of the song that they're singing is not only is God's work great, but God's work is right. How great are you, God? How right are you, God? Look at this phrase in the song. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. He is just and he is right every single time. He never makes a mistake. He never works and then has to retract it. He is always right and he is always just. They're going to sing and I think we're going to join them. But the idea of this song is, great are you, Lord, right are you, Lord. You can do no wrong. And when you pour out the wrath upon this planet, you're only doing right and just. The third part of the song, who shall, glorif- or who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? How glorious are you, God? He is great, he is right, and he is glorious. You know what glorious means? Glory means weight. The word weight, kavod, in the Hebrew sense, is the idea of influence. If you take a small, small pebble and toss it into a lake, it has small, small ripples, and it won't affect your dock, it won't affect your boat or your cabin, because it's only a small pebble and it's only tiny influence, small waves. Kavod, glory, is the idea of weight. Not like, weight like this. Like a gigantic rock being thrown into a water, and it has huge waves, and the waves affect everything in its path. That is God's glory. He has a huge influence, and he is impacting and making a difference in everything he touches. That's what we're attributing to God. God, your influence is so mighty, everything shakes because of you. What a great song. Great are you, right are you, glorious are you. But look at why they sing. The end of verse 4 is why they sing. We know what they're going to sing, but now why do they sing it? Verse 4, for you alone are holy. There is none like you, Lord. You are holy, separate from sin. You cannot sin. You are separate from it. You are holy. So that's why we sing, because of his virtue. He is holy by intrinsic character, by his virtue. So they're, they're going to sing for his virtue, because of his virtue. Why else do they sing? Listen to this. The next phrase of their song, for all nations shall come and worship before you. Not only because of his godly virtue, his holiness, but also because of his victory. Every nation will bow before the Lord. If they're one of his children, they're going to bow before the Lord, entering a kingdom of peace and righteousness, or will be in heaven bowing our knee. If they're enemies of the Lord, they will bow their knee and give glory to the Father anyways. Every knee shall bow. Isaiah says it. And then Paul quotes Isaiah in Philippians when he says, And at the name of Jesus, what? 
Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, both those who are above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. No exceptions. Everybody, every man, woman, every leader of a country today, every member of ISIS, someday will bow their knee and they will confess Jesus is Lord. But many will perish in the lake of fire and some will be rescued and brought to heaven. Wow, what a, what a song. Great are you, Lord. Right are you, Lord. Glorious are you, Lord. And then what great reasons? Because you are holy, because you have the victory, and every nation is going to bow and worship you. And then the third, for your judgments have been manifested because of his wrath. Why sing praise to the Lord? Because he is holy, because he gets the victory, and because of his vengeance. He's going to to bring wrath upon this planet. And when his wrath is complete, justice is done. Now, verse 5. After these things I looked, John said, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came these seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Now you and I are going to be up in heaven at that time, and we're going to be in glorified bodies. We're going to have our own robes of righteousness. And we're going to be standing back, and I think we're going to all be like, you guys, the door's opening. We know from Revelation 15, what's going to happen? And maybe with triumphant music and colors, out come these seven angels. And we know they are coming to planet Earth with, with the wrath of God upon them. Then, verse 7, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever the people that we are around on a daily basis, some of our family, our friends, some of our co-workers, some of the people that our children go to school with, or maybe if you're a child, you go to school with, some, if not many, will feel this wrath of God. The wrath of God that Jesus took upon himself on the cross so we could go free will be felt by many all those who do not trust Christ. So I'm going to bring you back to our theme. What kind of application? How do we make this personal? We're supposed to go with the gospel. There are people all around us that are perishing. They are perishing. And when they die forever, they will be in torment enduring the punishment for their sins when their punishment has already been taken care of. Wow. So one of the four living creatures, we don't know which one, but one of them comes and gives to the angels, can you picture this? Seven golden bowls. I can't get into the bowls tonight, but everything has a reason, and there's a reason why these are bowls. And this is a tabernacle where sacrifices and blood and ashes were all carried out by bowls. These were shallow bowls that were used in temple service in the Old Testament. And you can look through the Old Testament and see why these bowls, but in the, they weren't gold in the Old Testament, they were bronze, but why these utensils were used and how they would have significance in, in pouring out the wrath upon uh, this, of this world. All right, and verse 8, our final verse tonight. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. 
Now in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets a peek inside there before anybody else does. And Isaiah, as he looks into the temple, where it says in in verse 1 of Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord seated on the throne, which people are going to get a view of when the door opens. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6, what did Isaiah see? The hem of his garment. It says the, the train of his garment. The, it's the word hem. The hem of his garment filled the whole temple. He, God's glory, Jesus Christ's glory is so great that if we just look at the fringe of the edge of his garment, we're blown away. Much less to look at his glowing, glowing glorious face. When we see Jesus, we're going to fall at his feet as if dead. And, and I hope he does what he did to John and put his hand on our right shoulder and say, Arise, I am your Savior. You are, you are my child. And he, he embraces us. But Isaiah sees God, the, the Son, in his glory. And just the edge of his garment is more than Isaiah can say. What does Isaiah say? Woe to me. Woe is not like, woe, man. It's like, woe, like the greatest grief a man could feel. Woe is me, for I am a man who is undone. I'm undone. I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips around a people of unclean lips. I am a sinner. And this is a holy God that we're looking upon. All right. So the temple filled with smoke and from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. That's just the introduction to the seven last bowls of judgment. Next Sunday morning, we'll look at each bowl. And we'll rapidly come and bring this book to a conclusion in the next couple of weeks. What are some applications? My first one's easy. This world is lost, dying, going to hell, and condemned by God. And the only rescue is what? Jesus Christ. He is the only rescue. Do you agree? It's not good works, it's not church attendance, it's not prayers, it's not singing, it's not giving. It's not, the only rescue for this planet is a person, it is Jesus Christ. And who knows about Jesus in this room? You and I do. And how are they ever going to know if we tell them? If we don't tell them, would they know? No. Uh, Romans 10 says, how can they believe if they don't first hear? And how can they hear if nobody brings them the message? And if they don't have a message, they need a preacher. And how do they get a preacher unless they're sent? And then in John 17, Jesus said, I'm sending you out into the world. And then he said that in Matthew 28 as well. So we are the sent ones. And if they don't hear from us, they're not going to hear from anybody. Now, I'm I'm not trying to manipulate you or burden you under a law. I'm trying to motivate you by the grace of God to say, you know Jesus and you love him. Go tell other people that you love him. Go, just go and share that good news with others. All right, that's one application. My second application, the glory of God. The glory of God is influence. It is impact. Has, has your life been transformed by the gospel of grace? Are you different? We are in for believers, a state of progress called sanctification. We're growing more like Jesus day by day. We're not expected to be perfect, but we are expected to be progressing, to be growing. And if you're not growing, then what's the only alternative? You're backsliding. You're not just holding your own. Don't think you can hold your own and coast. You're either growing in Christ-likeness or you are backsliding and living in the flesh. 
You're, you're not doing a perfect balance. You're, you're regressing or you're progressing. You're either living in the flesh or you're living in the spirit. So I'm going to challenge you. May this week just be full of love and attention to Jesus Christ in his word. I really like what at the marriage conference, I really like this, this what was said, and I don't even know what session, they all kind of blended together, but we don't, God doesn't love us because we read the word and because we pray. We read the Lord because we need to love him. So we don't read the Bible so that we gain favor with him or that he likes us more or loves us more. We read the Bible so we love him more. He already loves us unconditionally with a perfect everlasting love. But our love is going to grow as we spend more time in the Word. So I'm going to challenge you. Build this love relationship into your walk with Jesus where you're attentive to him, you're listening to him, you're reading his Word, you're praying, you're in fellowship. Man, that's going to be a great joy. Then, in the power of the Spirit, you can go and accomplish God's, God's will for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this little scene of triumphant joy as two songs were sung. The song of Moses, it's a song of deliverance, and the song of the Lamb, it's a song of, of uh, salvation and triumph. And we know what they sing, and now we know why they sing. We also know that the days of this earth are short. Who knows how long our life will be? The days of this earth certainly are numbered. This earth has only a finite number of days left. There is a sense of urgency in our life every day. I pray, Father, that we believers here in this local assembly will live for righteousness' sake. We will live for the one who died for us. Our words, our thoughts, our actions would characterize and be seen as the likeness of Christ day by day. So give us strength and courage this week to give the gospel, but also live the gospel. Thank you, Father, for the glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.